The Naked Vocalist is proudly sponsored by Vocalize You, the world's most comprehensive home study program for vocalists. Over 200,000 singers have experienced more range, more power, and more vocal freedom with Vocalize You. Download your copy from vocalizeyou.com now. Hello, welcome, episode 22. We are currently in the mount the san bernardino mountain range of california um and to accompany us on this trip is some of this jealous michael music have a little listen Jealous Michael. So um, <laughs> there's a serious increase in your energy when you just came in. Then did you feel that as well? I felt like I needed to do something. Why? To... Why? Why? Well, how's your day been? Well, no, the, well, I'm jet lagged. Mm. To be honest with you. Um, anyway, <laughs> anyway, <laughs> we're supposed to be talking about Jealous Michael. Sorry to Jealous Michael. That was Jealous Michael with My Fire, and. Uh, that song, you can download it on iTunes, you can find it on YouTube as well, but we know the drummer, Simon, um, who is like the receptionist at the studio that we teach at, or taught at, um, in Southampton at River Studios. So, uh, bloody nice bloke. Lovely guy. Like to say. Lovely guy. Talks, um, he likes his fitness, he likes his working out. He does. Yep, he's weightlifting. He likes to pump it. If ever you meet him, that's, you know, bring it up. <laughs> if you ever meet him yeah. um, but they, they are a good band and they're doing pretty well so go and check them out Jealous Michael My Fire um, in case you haven't noticed we are using brand new recording equipment 1212 uh, which is uh, we've brought over because we're actually recording in the San Bernardino Mountains in uh, California this time because we're at the Vocalize You Winter Retreat now we have had a bit of a toss-up over these mics for the past how long have we, have we been doing this now since not october gone but the one before that right so over a year and we wanted to keep the raw authentic just do it into the laptop type thing but we've had a f- we had some feedback on from some people saying that they think it would be better with proper mics so here we are so let us know what you think honestly please do that because it'd be nice to know if you'd like to hear us more clearly then, you know, this is... This is what it's going to be this like. This is the future. Yeah. But while we're here, we're going we're gonna to r- run into a bunch of people like ENT, Sean Nasiri, who treats some mega rock stars. Another ENT, Rena Gupta, who is just so wonderful to talk to. Um, Wendy Parr, Grammy-winning songwriter, and her clients um, are also Grammy winners. So... And possibly Wendy Moten, mm. who is a... Uh... Every night when we're here, they do a house concert, and it's in this very small amphitheatre with everyone who's at the event. Very chilled out, by the way. There's about 60 to 80 people here, yeah. teachers and artists. And literally, we just sit around, and the artist comes down, tells us a story about their life. It's so inspiring, because Wendy is a lovely lady with a he- heck of a lot of experience. Then she sings a few songs, and one of them acoustically tonight... Acoustically Acoustically. Well. On, on, on the bill tonight, she said is uh, Come On and Out of the Rain, which is an absolute monster. Oh, and please go and listen to that if you don't know it. Come On and Out of the Rain. My God. 
What a sing. She said as well, she, she mentioned to me yesterday, she said that she's, she's a little bit nervous about it. Yeah. Because she's any other place, but there's just teachers and other artists around that know what, you know, that it's hard. She's feeling judged. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, everyone feels like that. Yeah, even her. That's so relevant for today's podcast, isn't it? Because that, the judgment for her is the root of nervousness. Mm. And mm. I wouldn't, maybe not call it stage fright per se, but certainly apprehension. If you think she was on, she was on tour with Julio Iglesias for 15 years. Was she really? Yep. And she said that it was just a turning point for her in her life. She said he was an absolute master. At, at performing? Performing. She taught him so much and just an absolute pro. Yeah. And it's just brilliant to talk to her because... You know, uh, so compassionate. What I loved is that she's compassionate, but she got really high expectations. Yeah. And that's so good to be around. Well, hopefully we actually get to talk to her. Yeah, yeah. As well as watch her. So if we do, we'll, we'll record a podcast with her. Um, if she'll let us, that is. We'll yeah. have to ask really nicely. Um, but yes, anyway, into Mike Cunningham. He is a peak performance coach. Uh, he trains in colleges, performance colleges, musical theatre actors on how to overcome stage fright and get enough focus to do your job well. Is that kind of what he does? I think it's just another take on it, isn't it? There's a couple of, well, tons of thought processes in terms of confidence building, anxiety and nerves. And this is just, this is another one. Mm. And I think as we, we just had a discussion there, didn't we, with the other teachers about confidence and it's just it's such an indi individualistic thing. Yeah. And we just, you just got to kind of do what works for you. And this is just another approach that could work for you. Yeah, so there's loads of little gems in here. Um, listen to the end, jot them down, because they're going to help. Um, and then, of course, please get on board with us um, uh, on Twitter. Let us know what you think about the episode or indeed the podcast at all. We'd love to hear about you. Don't forget to send in questions as well, because we're so happy to like field them out to experts get them on the show or take it on ourselves. Um, but for now, enjoy Mike, he's a wonderful guy. Well, here we are today with MC. MC! <laughs> That's out of the blue. Mr. Mike Cunningham on the other end of the line. <laughs> I think you can use that one, Mike, if you want. Confidence MC. Yeah. Probably have. Yeah. Stage I'll name. I'll, I'll pass it or, or trademark it or whatever I need to do to use it, yeah. Oh, oh you're very kind for entertaining me on that one. <laughs> <laughs> just very quickly, Mike, I just want to um, big you up, so to speak. Mike has worked with top actors, musicians, sports and business people. Um, all about mindset and how to give them the best performance that they can get. Um, Worked with people from the Guildhall School of Music and Drama, the Royal College of Music, and the Royal Academy of Dramatic Art. Some big players in there. The London Symphony Orchestra, Berlin Philharmonic Orchestra, and the Royal Opera House. People from the BBC and United Nations. And sports. I mean, it's just endless. Mike, one thing I just want to kick off with here is, is why you do what you do. And secondly, have we missed anything out in that, in that, that intro there? Um, I think that's that's a fairly comprehensive list. I mean, in terms of why I do what I do, uh, I was uh, a musician for many years. I retired in uh, 2012, so I've now recovered. Um, it occurred to me as I was going through the process of training and also working professionally that 
Um, although as musicians we spend a lot of time, of course, looking at the technical and musical aspects of our performance, the, the role of how we use our minds, especially when it comes to important performance situations, you know, being able to go out in front of an audience of people or uh, in front of an audition panel and be able to produce your performance, you know, demonstrate your skills the way you want to naturally and easily, uh, a lot of that comes down to the state of mind, the emotional state that you're in at the time. And uh, it was something that I don't think has been dealt with particularly for musicians. There are some uh, things like the in a game of uh, music that's been adapted from sport that musicians sometimes tap into. And, uh, I mean, that was produced in the 70s. That's quite a long time ago now. There, it occurred to me there wasn't really a more updated way of performers developing the way that they use their minds so they could get even more effective results. So that's kind of what inspired me to go into this area. And, uh, you know, given the list of performers you've just mentioned, uh, I very much enjoy the variety of working with uh, performers from different fields. Um, I've worked with people, TV presenting, stand-up comedy. Uh, I work with a number of uh, Olympic athletes on a regular basis, as well as singers uh, from a variety of backgrounds. I was thinking... Uh, before we started talking today, um, over the last few years, I mean, two con totally contrasting people I've worked with. I worked with one young singer who was doing, it was either X Factor or Britain's Got Talent, one of those kind of big shows. And a few weeks later, someone who was uh, doing a lead role at Royal Opera House, Covent Garden. So, you know, two very different kinds of uh, singing gigs there, really. So that's a kind of, yeah, I think you've come up with a fairly comprehensive list there and that's that's kind of why I got into it what kind of motivated me to do it mm. hey, I, know, I know you say they're two very different gigs but you know Darius Dinesh did do an opera so was it Darius? it was <laughs> Darius Dar <laughs> <laughs> that who we're talking about so we're talking like oh the crossover's probably quite prominent so mm. weirdly but it's interesting though there Mike is that you say it's in the same field though it's still within singing it, sure. was your approach I'm, I'm sure we'll get onto this a bit later on in the conversation anyway but was your approach massively different to those two different things or no not really and they're very similar um similar mindset required for both of them and, and i think that's one of the key points that you know over the last few years i've worked i've had weeks where i've been working with one of my regular sporting clients who's a hurdler and then work with someone who's uh uh you know a, a concert pianist or something like that and then with someone who is sitting in an orchestra maybe a, an actor and, and although these appear to be very different fields the kind of approach that enables someone to perform at their best in the perform, important performances they have coming up is, is very similar actually uh, even though there are different technical requirements the, the kind of state of mind the mindset behind it is very similar in all of these situations yeah mm. I guess it, we're all human beings with a, with a similar mind. It's just, uh, it's just we're doing different things. So that's great. So let, let's get into this. Let's get into this from 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 um, right right from base level. Mm. Peak performance in your in singing terms in your terms. What what do you? How would you define peak performance in singing? Well, I think for a start, it's not what people uh, think it is very often uh, and some of the questions that, that you sent me ahead of time were relating to confidence um, it's probably useful for people listening to this to consider you know what are some of the things we're looking at singing what are some of the, uh, the really amazing singers that you've watched or listened to perform either live or on TV you know the people who when you're watching and listening to them you're totally drawn into the way that they're performing you're, you're almost totally immersed in it yourself 
And it makes an emotional change in you just watching and listening to these people. Mm. Um, when you're seeing someone doing that and they just have a real flow and they're communicating the emotion through that performance so that even if you're someone who you know, has a background in singing, you know about, a lot about the technical requirements, you're almost that just disappears and you're totally immersed in what they're doing. And afterwards, you kind of just step back and go, wow. That, for me, is what I think is useful for people to aim to do. And I think from a motivational point of view, a lot of the people who choose to dedicate their time to singing, to developing their skills as musicians, as singers, they'll have had some experiences of those kind of performances where they were totally immersed in the music, really just loving what they were doing. I don't know how it, you know, people would describe it differently. Maybe it's that adrenaline rush, that buzz, that kind of excitement, that high you get from really enjoying singing something that, you know, a piece of music you just love. And for me, that's really the, the kind of performance state that I think it's useful for singers to be able to recreate in other situations. So I would say it's really a sense of enjoyment of being immersed in the music, a sense of uh, flow, a sense of expressing what you want to through the particular song you're singing, rather than a really kind of pumped up confident state. Mm, interesting. So what you're kind of saying there is that it's it's the it's the end. Re- would you say? Well, I'm kind of putting words in your mouth. Is it the end result, the kind of emotional expression that results from? A handful of things coming together. I think it's. Um, I think it's the purpose with which people go into the performance, uh, and maybe it's useful at this juncture to kind of contrast this with the state of mind that probably people will have questions about, uh, as in times when they feel perhaps less than confident, a bit anxious, and if you think about it. Um, there tend to be two different ways of approaching performance. Um, when people are going in there, because there's a piece of music they just love and they really want to sing it, and they've been looking forward to this performance for ages and they can't wait to just get out there and do it, that's a different state of mind from the other one where what tends to happen is that people decide they need to be more confident because they're more concerned about what the people in the audience will think of their performance. So, you know, typically people come to me and they say, well, I'm feeling nervous about this performance coming up. And, uh, you know, if I were to ask them what they think they need in that moment, they'll say confidence. And the nerves will be, well, there's people out there and they may or may not like it. And I need confidence because there are people out there and they may or may not like it. So in a way, the state of mind they want to go into is totally based on what they think the audience are going to be thinking about them. Whereas performances where people do tend to get that real sense of peak performance, that real sense of flow, is when they're actually immersed in the music and just enjoying the singing. And that tends to uh, lead the, the people who are listening to be more impressed than if they're actually trying to impress them actively, if that makes sense. I don't know if that uh, kind of strikes a chord in your experience, the experience that you have of, of, of knowing about a lot about singing and performance, but mm. that those tend to be the main differences between the kind of mindsets that either enable someone to get the results they want or actually kind of hold them back from doing that. Oh, com- I, mm. I completely mm. agree with that. I actually can recall a performance um, a while back where a song I've been singing forever in the, in the loo... Uh, you know my toilet song, I like to call it, and I still and it's still my toilet song now. And uh, yeah, I just remember loving that. I worked on it. I was I was stoked about singing it. I'd loved the version I put together. And uh, it was on a particular night at Christmas, which Steve might mm. well remember. Mm. And um, yeah, I I actually stood there and thought, I'm going to love this. 
I, it would it would have mm. definitely been a situation where I would have been nervous. It was a it was a situation actually where I was oddly singing solo when normally I'm in the bands or I'm with a duo or a four piece. And I know that in other situations where I've just stood there and done it myself before, then I felt a bit like. Oh, this is odd. This doesn't feel particularly nice. Mm. Um, but because I was picking those songs a little bit selfishly, one I'd wanted to do for about three years, um, yeah, I completely yeah, connect with that. I was actually into the song itself and really was enjoying the way it was coming out. And hence, enjoyed, I enjoyed the performance a lot more. Yeah, so it's almost like the that, that definitely correlates with this thought that's being running, well, kind of been knocking around for a little while about the the purpose you know what's the purpose yeah. of of what you of why you're doing what you're doing and for you there chris it was it was i want to go and deliver i want to i i'm i love this song i've been working on it as a kind of project song and at no point as you just said mike did i'm sure the thought of is you know the people in the front row are they gonna like this and they're gonna like me it's like but do you know what i mean what do you feel about this though mike that i'm, I'm, I'm skipping around a bit here i'm a bit excited but that said, like Chris, you were happy. You were happy with that project song, and you were going to go and perform it. But do you think that that, Mike? Do you think that was possibly because of Chris's experience and the fact that he had a lot of the fundamentals of singing in place before he went and did that? Do you, in terms of technique, and in terms preparation. of preparation, yeah. experience in performing, all those things were in place, and you were able to then go and get your mindset in a place where I'm just I'm after this song. You know, I'm not after. Do you, do you think, Mike? Well, I think to a certain extent, yeah. If you were to, you guys were to go into a uh, a junior school anywhere in the country, and you were to take in, you know, and do and, and with the kids, get them to sing a song that they really enjoy, they wouldn't be sitting there going, "But do I have the technique to do this?" And will everyone like it? They just jump in and mm. love it, and they would be they'd be learning as they they went. They'd be getting better at singing the song. If it was something they really wanted to sing, they would just jump in, you know, all guns blazing and, and have a go with it. And, and not question it. Exactly, yeah. And I think in terms of the, the technical aspect of it is really uh, important because, I mean, if I explain this a little bit more detail, um, you asked a question about auditions and sometimes the, 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 way, the reason why people find it challenging to do auditions is because of the, the, the goal that they set themselves. So let's imagine I'm a singer going in to audition for you two guys, okay? So, and the, the audition is in two weeks' time. And I've decided that if you give me this audition, whatever this might be, a concert, a recording contract, uh, a run in a West End show, a part in an opera, uh, what, uh, you know, the place in the band, whatever it is at the end of this, if you give me this, then somehow my life will be transformed beyond my, my wildest dreams. So in order for me to do this, I'm going to get you to like what I do. Now, the problem with that is that in the two weeks between now and me turning up to audition for you guys, no matter how much I think about it in my mind, I cannot guarantee which opinions you will form about my singing. And that's one of the, 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 the structure, basically, of worry that I have a situation that's really important to me. And I think about it in such a way where I've placed the control in this situation outside of myself. So in this case, I've decided that Chris and Steve are going to decide whether I'm good enough to have this opportunity. So I go around in my mind, what if, you know, what if they think this? Well, what if they like this, but they don't like that? And so I kind of tend to, that's the, the nature of worry. And then what people te tend to do in that situation to get themselves back in control is they think, well, you know, if I just ensure that I sing absolutely everything perfectly, then they could not fail to be impressed. 
And although that may seem intuitive, what tends to happen then is someone tends to focus more on a techno uh, technique aspect of their singing, you know, uh, let's make sure every note is absolutely perfect. And that tends to actually get a result that's less, uh, it doesn't really create the sense of passion, the sense of flow, the sense of expression in the music. So with the, the desire to impress and to, to do the audition successfully, it often leads someone to sing in a way that they would not normally if they were doing that toilet song, to use that phrase, if they were doing that song, they just <laughs> and we love singing, crap song, just that, yeah. <laughs> passion, you know. Um, so I think uh, it's about a, a counterintuitive way of thinking. If I'm going to do an audition um, as a singer, that's when it's going to be most important for me to do the very same things that I would do when I'm just, I've got a piece I just can't wait to sing. It, singing it in and of itself will give me what I want. I don't have any other outcome other than to stand there and sing this piece I love. And although that's counterintuitive, that's the approach that um, is more is more likely to get people the results they want from, from the audition. And I, I often ask people, you know, when you look back at experiences where people were really impressed with your singing, what were you doing in those situations? My guess is it's not focusing on the technique. It's not focusing on trying to impress, but rather you're, you're going in there with a sense of passion and just loving every minute of performing. And so it's about recreating that because that's much more likely uh, going to create a good impression than trying to do everything perfectly or trying to trying to second guess whether the people listening will enjoy it or not that will tend to actually detract from someone's performance yeah you know so, what? and, and funny you say that mike actually because um when i think about the end result of that if you do if you do stay true to the enjoyment and your taste and what represents you the best mm. you're familiar with let nerves aside you'll end up in the most appropriate role or job exactly anyway and I, I guess your long-term happiness in an industry like that will be preserved by that approach anyway yeah absolutely and it's it's a tricky i mean i was working with a singer at the guild hall the other day and she was telling me about doing the whole audition thing and singing classes in front of other students and uh you know again you can understand that people you know as performers we want the people listening to enjoy what we do uh the only thing uh, there's nothing wrong with that intention neither is there anything wrong with the intention to develop one's technique to become even more technically accomplished that's that's really important that's why people have their singing lessons and they continue practicing but in terms of actually what works in performance, it is that enjoyment and that, that sense of flow. And I think the trouble with um, the approach of wanting to impress people is that if I go from performance to performance to performance uh, with the goal in mind that I want to impress you guys, what tends to happen is by the time I, I turn up, I'm going to be such a nervous wreck. I'm not going to sing in a way that actually reflects my ability. And so then I went, oh, no, that was awful. I hope the next one's not like that. And then I start to run the pattern in, in you know, situation after situation. So I convince myself I'm not up to it, which is not because there's any lack of ability, but just because someone's using an approach that's not going to enable them to sing the way that they could if they were just going in there for the love of singing. So, again, I know it sounds very counterintuitive, but... Um, given that results are really important for people, it's, it's really important to use an approach that's actually going to enable them to sing successfully. And, and back to what you've just said, which I think is really true, um, you want people to choose you for certain opportunities based on you know your voice, your unique qualities, your take on uh, singing, your your musicianship. Uh, I mentioned to the singer the other day. I said, you know, if we were to go get a group of people to go to Gordon Ramsay's restaurant for lunch. 
and we all get given the menu. Is everyone going to choose the same thing? And she went, well, well no. And I said, so that, does that mean that all the, the other dishes that we don't choose are no good? And she went, no, it's just whatever mood we happen to be in at the time. And I said, okay, so when we go to Eston Blumenthal's restaurant the next day, are we going to choose the same dishes there? Well, no, everyone's going to have a different taste, something they want differently. So, you know, if we then compare what we've eaten at Gordon Ramsay's to Heston Blumenthal's, is everyone going to agree on what the best dish was? Well, no. Does that mean that either the dishes or Gordon Ramsay or Heston Blumenthal are not up to it? Not at all. It just means that, you know, people select something based on their taste at that time. And we will all have a slightly different taste. And with uh, food as with music, it's very subjective. So, you know, otherwise everyone would listen to exactly the same singers. Everyone would listen to Tom Jones or everyone would listen to Placido Domingo. And they don't. They listen to people who speak to them and whose voice and style of singing and, and style of music appeals to them. And so I think it's really about people developing their own take and finding the opportunities that really fit for them. So I think the point you made is a very good one there. That's brilliant, brilliant. This is, this is, yeah, this is really brilliant, Mike, and I'll tell you for why. Because um, the two things you've mentioned there that aren't the things to focus on, I really get. I really get the, the the first one. You know, don't don't focus on the result. Don't focus on or the the acceptance from other people. Yeah. Um, and I've heard multiple people t- over time talk about focusing on the process. Yes. Uh, which is, as you say, the, the technique and getting things right. And, and I've heard of that uh, gaining success in that sometimes, in, in working on that, 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 that process. For example, the, the diver walks towards the end of the board and instead of thinking I'm going to clatter the edge of the pool when I jump when I go down and, and become fearful actually thinking <laughs> belly flop yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> actually thinking okay toes towards the end of the board uh, arms up because <laughs> you said I've never uh, never done any diving yeah. before <laughs> take a breath <laughs> and then off you go so the process will, will get you through it but what you're saying is actually no if you can, if you concentrate on the reasons why you did it the passion uh, all those things yeah. that's actually going to make it happen for you is that correct yeah yeah well, let, let me explain this in a bit more detail one, one of the things is that if people actually focus too much on every specific detail, it will make it more difficult. For example, um, you know, when someone has an important phone call to make and they think, well, this is going to go well, this is going to go perfectly, um, and they start to plan out literally every word they're going to say, they invariably start to trip up over words they would say naturally and easily. Um, so mm. it doesn't tend to work. If you think about the process of how we learn to do something, when someone learns to drive, in the initial stages, they have to think actively about everything their body does, pressing down the, the brake, changing the gear, moving the steering wheel, looking at the wing mirrors, and they go through every stage of the process. They focus on each of these actions consciously, and they have to actively get their body to do it. Now, after a while, it starts to happen even more naturally and easily and automatically. And then once, uh, So they're able then to have a conversation with the person who's sitting in the, the passenger seat. They're able to listen to the radio, and yet still able to drive safely and then if they've been driving for a while they get to the point where they drive home and they have no recollection of how they got there yet they drove home safely now one of the things that happens with uh performers in general sports people uh certainly singers is that in the desire to get everything right they then start to focus on the technical aspect so very often singers will focus on their breathing they'll focus on what they you know, trying to get their voice in the right place. And all of these things uh, are a bit like 
going back to the first stage of driving where they're focusing on what their foot's doing to press the brake down and, and changing gear, when you actually try and get your body to actively do what you want it to do, tends not to work very well. It's a bit like you know when someone's lying in bed at night wanting to get themselves to sleep and they try and go, right, I need to sleep now, I just need to relax. And the more they try and actively get themselves to sleep, the less likely it is to happen. And so... You know, typically when people come to me, if they're singers, they say, well, I think it's my breathing. I need some breathing exercises because my breathing is very tense when I, I go into auditions. And that's because they're trying to control every single detail in an attempt to gain the control back, having decided that who's really in control is the people listening to them. So, um, for, you know, one of the singers I was working with recently, she kept coming up, you know, breathing, breathing. I've got to get my breathing more relaxed. I've got to get my breathing more relaxed. And uh, in the end, I said to her, you know, what are, what are your top three experiences of really enjoying singing naturally and easily when you were just expressing the music and everything was flowing the way you wanted to? And she sat there and she went, oh, let me think. And took this huge relaxed breath. And I think that's it. You know, if you, uh, as you said, from your experience, when you're going into a, performance where you're really passionate about what you're communicating the technical aspects that you've been practicing over so many days months and, and years leading up to that tend to flow more naturally and easily because you're not trying to control each of them uh, directly so again that's quite a counterintuitive way of focusing on performing but i think one of the things that it's really useful for people to consider is look back at the the, the way that you're performing in situations maybe that you don't even think of as important ones where you were just there to have fun and enjoy yourself and you happen to sing beautifully anyway because you were just going into it for all the right reasons and you know to really just enjoy the moment and then it's about how you can replicate that in important situations replicate what you're doing that is already working rather than what someone rather than someone trying to do something that they think will work that isn't based on any of their experiences of singing naturally and easily the way they want to Mm, interesting and yeah I, I, you know an analogy similar similar to the one you talk about with the car i've heard about one with the, with the uh with the coffee cup which is where you're you know if if somebody's got a very expensive carpet and they ask you to carry a coffee cup across mm. the floor and you do that thing where uh, where you have to put your concentration on that coffee cup and carry it so steady yeah that your attention can only be on that coffee cup and nothing else yeah and so performing another task whilst, whilst doing that, listening to someone, listening to instructions, anything like that, there's just no room in your conscious mind to do that whilst you're concentrating so much on carrying this coffee cup across the floor. But much like when you, when you can't remember the drive home, that's like, you know, the, the basic functions of driving a car are so far back in your automatic mind that then you can think about a whole bunch of other things that make you forget your journey. And for, for me, that, that creates the space for enjoyment to even come into your mind mm -hmm. for the yeah. performance. Is that right? Yeah, I think, I think that's, I mean, um, one of the things it's, it's very often use uh, that I'll do with people when I'm working with them in sessions is I'll, I'll get them to take, um, and this is something for the people listening to this call they can try out. Um, you know, either pause the, the, the podcast and have it and give it a go. But if you if someone were to take a simple scale or a warm up exercise they do, so not one of their core repertoire songs or whatever, but just a simple scale. And you know, what I get people to do is just imagine singing it through in their mind, really just enjoying the flow of the music. 
one of the things that will help if you think of a piece of music you particularly enjoy, you think of what the kind of emotion that you want to express through singing that piece of music. What is it? Is it, you know, incredibly kind of excited or happy or, you know, what, what's the emotion in that? And you imagine singing a scale in the style of that piece, really enjoying the process of singing and expressing the music naturally and easily. And take a few moments to do that. And then if you contrast that with singing the very same scale, really focusing on trying to do absolutely everything perfectly, every note perfectly, controlling all of the technique, and you sing the same scale that way, you get a, 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 an idea of what happens differently when you have these two ways of focusing. And uh, typically what happens is when someone is focusing and enjoying expressing the motion, they're the singing flows more naturally and easily. They're more aware of the phrasing of the melody um, and they get that kind of natural flow. When someone uh, focuses on the technical things, what tends to happen is that there's already an enormous amount of tension um, created. Their breathing starts to get shallower. They start to focus on one note at a time, so they lose the entire flow. And it's just a very, it's an interesting way of just having a contrast for yourself with uh, something relatively simple, as I say, a simple scale or warm-up exercise, doing it a couple of different ways and noticing what changes in physiologically and emotionally when you change what you're aiming to do with something that you're singing. Now, at the end of that, it's use useful to just stop and go back to the, the first way of approaching it again, really enjoying expressing the, the music and really communicating the emotion through this, this music naturally and easily so that you kind of finish with a version that puts you in more of a state of kind of flow. So, But that's just a simple thing people can do to really get a sense of what changes inside when and they, they focus differently on how they're approaching their singing because it's good for people to get an experiential kind of real full body experience of what, what happens when you focus in a variety of ways so you know what works for you. Yeah, so that's that's a, that's a, that's a great link there, Mike, um, onto one of the following questions. Is it, is it guide? Is it guided thoughts? Then, or based on what you just said, is it is that the basis of, of what you do? And because what I'm thinking of right now is is as in singing, which might be slightly different to sports and some other things that you work with. Singing, I think, is, is one of the things where we are mostly going to be focusing on the acceptance from other people. Um, and I think that it, I, I, am I right in saying that in fact, as human beings, that is one of our innate emotions we, we want to be accepted you know within within a an environment and and so with singing it seems to be really apparent I know I'll be speaking on behalf of a lot of teachers and singers to be fair you've yeah. got this you've got this human being in front of you that either is in one of these two camps that you mentioned they're really they're really focusing on impressing people normally the x-factor auditionees that kind of stuff or you have the people that are the perfectionists who have spent all their life working on their instrument or voice and they've got to a point where that's all they focus on. It's really, really the one that you mention on, mention of, which is the, I love doing this because I just love it. So what do you do with the most stubborn of, of, of human beings that walk in in front of you? Uh, is there any more, any more tips that you can... Well, um, I, I wouldn't... I wouldn't phrase it in that way because I think what people are people are always attempting to get some result that's important to them. So talking about perfectionism, who wouldn't want to sing in a way that would impress others and would demonstrate their skills naturally and easily? Mm. Um, the difference is whether they focus on trying to get perfect results or whether they try to perfect the process. I'll give you an, another example of this. If you watch uh, a tennis match, if you see someone like Roger Federer, 
playing. Um, and he's obviously, you know, one of the guys that ha- achieves an amazing state of flow when he's playing. I mean, it's it's even if you're not into tennis, it's amazing to watch the guy because you know he just creates this wonderful sense of flow in his game. And even if there's a point in the match where he's not getting the results he wants, where the other guy is starting to to, to get into the lead, he continues with his state of flow. Now, if you watch him in those situations, if he makes a mistake, he just lets it go, because actually, if you if you hear him interviewed people say to to him you know why do you uh continue to play tennis you want everything and he says yeah but i just love playing tennis i just really enjoy getting out there and playing tennis and of course as we've been saying with performers uh enjoyment is a present moment state so people are immersed in the present moment which people need to be for performance so as he's focusing on enjoying playing that gives him a sense of flow and he lets the mistakes go now if you hear him interviewed after the match He's acutely aware of all the things that he did that were working particularly successfully. And he's also aware of aspects of his game on that day that didn't work the way he wanted to, didn't match his very, very high standards. So afterwards, he can then use all of that information to continue developing his skills and abilities as he's practicing and training ahead of his next match. So it's not that he doesn't take mistakes into account, but he uses them after the match rather than during. Now, if you see another performer who has a, let's say, not such an effective mindset, uh, tennis player what they tend to do is they tend to dwell on every single little mistake through the entire match and beat themselves up about every single one and you can kind of see this in their physiology and the impression that they have is that it's not getting perfect results all the way through the match that is losing them the match but it's not that it's their response to the mistakes and typically if you hear people like that interviewed afterwards they go oh well, that's a dreadful match i just want to forget about it so by being so results focused during the match, they actually run through a process that's less than perfect compared to Federer's process of playing, which is you know incredibly perfect, even though he doesn't get perfect results through every match. And then with the person who has not such an effective mindset afterwards by going, I just want to forget about it. They're not taking the very information they need to develop their skills and abilities in their practice and training ahead of future matches. So again, that's not a perfect process. So there's a, a somewhat of a paradox that in order, by wanting to get perfect results all of the time, someone ends up, uh, well, they certainly don't enjoy what they're doing, and also it doesn't actually get them the results they want. Uh, so it's a, I know that's a very strange one for people to get their heads around because it's kind of counterintuitive. The thing about it as well is that um, there's no human being on the planet who does everything perfectly all of the time. It can't be done. It doesn't matter how skilled they are, whether we're talking the, the world's most fantastic singers or the, the greatest sports star, there's no one who gets perfect results. So they're setting themselves up for something that is uh, unachievable for a start. Uh, the other thing is it doesn't tend to be a useful approach to learning and developing skills. And although I know performers sometimes say to me, well, OK, I've done enough learning now. I need to get it right in this next performance. It's seeing every performance within a larger context, within a longer process of your continuing successful development so that you learn from every experience and no one performance is the be-all and end-all. In terms of people liking the performance, um, I think, again, uh, you can look at performers who have uh, ways of approaching performance that are probably more useful. If you think about someone like Madonna, I don't think her goal is for everyone to like what she does. I think she wants to get an extreme reaction. You know, if she, if, when you see, say, documentaries about her shows, you see people leaving, either going, oh, that was the most amazing thing, I can't believe that, or other people going, that terrible woman, she started talking about politics and, she, and that she's not an American. You know, you get people who are really 
uh, polarized by her performance. And I think her goal is just to, to make an incredible impact. So I don't think she's uh, wanting everyone to like her. And I think the goal to get everyone to like you is a very challenging one because, you know, uh, whether we were talking about singers, sports stars, celebrity chefs, there are, there are, there's no person who is universally liked. Uh, so, again, that's unachievable in the same way that trying to get perfect, perfect results all of the time is. So it's, again, I know it can be hard for people to get their heads around, but it's finding a, a counterintuitive way of approaching performing that it normally gets more effective results, actually. Mm. Mm. I think you should do a study on us actually, because I think we're pretty perfect. Actually, yes. it'd be nice to be nice to see if uh, <laughs> <laughs> if uh, if there is if there is an exception to the rule anomaly anomaly. Because uh, yes. you know, I'm sure. But you know, <laughs> a couple of things. Sorry, uh, a couple of things I'd like to bring up with you. I, I, I hear it quite a lot actually. Is um, and some people, some singers, and and people in other sports actually maybe get a bit disheartened by the fact that you can never be the best. There'll always be someone better than you. You cannot reach perfection. Nobody can get mastery in anything. But the fun is in the chase at the end of the day. And actually the level you're at versus, you know, what you need it for. Sometimes, you know, like you might be, you might have got mastery enough to perform in certain places and knock people's socks off. But, you know, there'll always be something that crops up that, that you can't do that, again, you'll just raise the bar for, work on that, increase your level again, but then you'll see something else and it is never ending. And for some people that's like, oh God, does this never end? But then you're, I'm more of the person who's like, uh, great, that means I actually have a lifetime of cool shit to work on. Mm. Yeah, I think that's it. I think the, uh, typically, uh, when people go into something like uh, music or sport, they go into it because they found something they genuinely enjoy doing and something that they do recognize they have skills. And maybe, you know, maybe it's an early experience at school, you know, say a teacher's kind of taken interest in them and go, wow, you're actually really good at this. You know, you, could, you should really develop your skills in this area. And so typically they go into it with a purpose that's actually, I think, very useful and enables them to go into performance with a sense of what's actually really important and enjoy the experience and really learn and notice that they're progressing. And I think at some stage, normally when people develop a mindset which is kind of I've got to do I've got to be better than everyone else I've got to do this perfectly um, that tends to ensure that they don't really get the results they want they don't enjoy the process I mean I often ask people you know when you producing more effective results when you're really enjoying loving singing and performing or when you're trying to do everything perfectly to impress people it's a really easy thing to contrast when you think about your experiences to date because actually if it's results people are after it's more useful to actually focus on enjoying and expressing yourself during the performance because that's the kind of thing that people want to hear you know if you see uh, and hear a singer who is attempting to do everything perfectly and they're also looking at you whilst they're performing to kind of see if they think you're enjoying it it's a very unnerving experience for, for an audience member and even if they do sing everything absolutely perfectly there tends to be no personality there nothing of them or the sense of expression or passion for singing that actually is engaging and absorbing as an audience member so again i'm all for people getting results i just want them to, to focus on using a process that enables them to achieve the results coming back to someone like federer he goes on on there to enjoy 
uh, and, and you know love playing his tennis and he gets very good results with that because the process of going through performing in the way that he does also achieves results the tennis player who's wanted to do everything perfectly ends up getting lesser results so it's again that, that bit of it's counterintuitive I think the uh, the thing about people liking the performances, people have a variety of motivations for what they like. In terms of, let's imagine um, that I am a singer and I go to hear someone who I think is a wonderful singer. You know, Now, if I'm wanting to develop my skills and I hear someone that I perceive is much, much better than me, I have two choices. Either I continue to practice and work towards achieving the same standard as this other singer, or I can try and reduce down the quality of their performance in my mind so there's not such a difference between us. So sometimes you'll get people in the audience who go, well, actually, I didn't think it was that good. I mean, did you hear there was that note that didn't quite sound like the others? And, and what they're trying to do there is they're trying to reduce down the quality of the performance they've, they've heard so that it doesn't make them feel quite as bad about their current level of performance. Now, it's, you know, so sometimes you've got people in, in the audience who are saying they don't like what they're hearing because it's so good. So if your goal is to get everyone to like what you do, that's really tricky. You know, if you were to put, um, if you were to send uh, someone who is performing with a Metropolitan Opera New York and you were to send them into a concert uh, that was supposed to be given by One Direction, that singer from the Met could be absolutely wonderful, but the One Direction fans ain't going to be happy. And that's not going to mean that the singer from the, the Met isn't any good. It's just people have a different taste in what they hear. So people have a variety of, of, of reasons for liking what they hear. And the goal to get everyone to like it, I don't think is really, tends not to be very useful because even with world-class actors and performers, not everyone's going to like what they do. That's, that's just the way it is. Yeah. So. And the way that they say, actually, the way some people express how they don't like something is often far beyond what they should be saying. As in, if they don't like it, they'll actually say how bad it was, rather than mm. rather than that, isn't really, for me. that really isn't for me. And I think when when those comments get out there in the world, actually, obviously people can take them more to heart on their ability rather than they were just a massively inappropriate act for that moment. People can be harsh. People can be harsh. Um, I'd love you to go a little bit more into the concept of flow, Mike, for uh, for people, because I think that looking at that in the past for me is, is quite an important part of becoming confident and, and, and being able to practice in the right way. Okay, so let's, um, to give you an example that, that relates to singing, but, but isn't a singing-related example, if you like. When people learn to read, they start off with one letter at a time, okay? So, you know, you'll give a child, a very young child, a book, and they will sit there going, k, a, t, k, a. So they start to take three pieces of information, three letters, and then they start to flow them together so they get one word. Those three letters now become one. And then when they learn, continue learning to read, uh, they'll start reading one syllable at a time, going, yes, today I went to the shops. And, and, you know, when you listen to a child reading like that, you can understand that they're trying to, they're focusing on each piece in order to start to put it together 
and by focusing on each syllable, they're, they're learning to read very slowly. Now, there's not a lot of flow to that. As I describe that to you, it sounds very difficult to listen to because that's not the way that people speak. Um, as they go through the process, a bit like our driving example as well, they start to not think of one syllable at a time, but one word at a time. Yesterday, I went to the shops. And then, you know, if you hear someone reading, if we were to say, you know, one of the, I know someone like Stephen Fry has done some audio books, hasn't he? And he's a wonderful voice and wonderful kind of st storytelling voice. And if you hear someone like that talking, the whole sentence flows as one. You know, yesterday I went to the shops and I bought a pet tarantula and took it home and no one was very pleased. You know, so you run the whole sentence as one. Now, if you think about it with singers, getting back to our um, some of the things we've been exploring with focusing on the phrasing. If someone is focusing on expressing the emotion, what they'll tend to do is the whole sentence of what they're singing will just flow. A bit like uh, Stephen Fry reading and you know narrating. Um, if they tend to want to do everything perfectly, they tend to go back to that stage of each syllable at a time, you know, or each movement that their mouth is making, or each breath in and out, and that reduces that sense of flow because they're now focusing on the individual pieces rather than the whole uh, flow of the phrase, flow of the uh, the verse. Uh, you know, each word just flowing into one, emphasizing only the, the words that are particularly important in the sentence rather than every single one equally like someone does when they're learning to read. So, again, uh, that kind of ties in with what we're looking about um, expressing emotion versus trying to do everything perfectly. Um, if you hear, if you watch something like Question Time on, on TV in the UK, um, you know, you get an audience of a few hundred people, you get politicians there, and this is on TV in front of millions of people. And someone in the audience will ask a question about something that they are passionate about, that they are perhaps incensed about, a political issue that really means a lot to them. And when they speak, they, they just want to communicate their idea. And the words just flow because they're talking from a place of passion. Even if they don't say every word perfectly, they get their message across. And very often they get more of a rapturous applause than the politicians because they're actually speaking from the heart whereas a lot of the politicians may speak very elegantly because they're very well trained public speakers but they don't have the same conviction behind it mm -hmm. if we contrast this with our making an important phone call example where someone tries to plan out every single word then they start to make mistakes so again when people are in a kind of passionate state and they're flowing and they're wanting to communicate the whole sentence they're saying or the whole verse of a song all of the technical details will tend to flow a lot more than if they try and focus on every detail. So I don't know if that kind of goes part way to answering your question there. Yeah, I think so. And it's, you know, like, like um, when you're in flow, you allow your, you obviously allow your mind to concentrate on, on different things and, and tap into what you're interested in or your passion. But the sense of flow and accessing it once in it is actually very pleasurable yeah and that's, that, that's a that's a motivator in itself is to go like oh god that was just like dancing along the ice it was just perfect um i see chefs like that who have got things going on but they're just like you know they might as well pirouette around the kitchen because that potato was done just at the right time mm. and uh but yeah everything's under control because no one's no one's freaking out yeah but that's a, just off the back of that there mike so We've got the flow, and uh, there may be some people that have experienced that in their life, and there may be some that haven't. There also may be some people that uh, 
have uh, have thought like Federer in their past. But there could be some people out there thinking, yeah, I'm I'm going to go for my next performance. I'm going to be thinking about everyone in the crowd. I'm going to be thinking about, and if that doesn't if that doesn't fill my thoughts, I'm going to be thinking about my last lesson and how I screwed up the the uh, exercise that I did, and or something to get me through it. So if that if there's those kind of people listening to this. I know we live in a world of quick fixes, and maybe that's a point. Maybe that's why we've got to where we are with these mindsets, is that this isn't a quick fix thing. Um, if there is a quick fix, what is it for people just starting out and going, right, I want to nail this next performance, and if not, then... Lobotomy. Is that what it is? <laughs> <laughs> Let's go for surgery, people. That's yeah. really quick. The first thing with that is that I think everyone has experienced a sense of flow. If you think about it... Um, when we were all younger, um, you know, if you think about children, they have a different approach to most activities. If you're working with, say, kids who are, you know, even up to kind of seven or eight, you know, and, you know, for, for maybe for any musicians listening to this who teach kids or they work with kids in workshops, if you give children an activity that they think is going to be enjoyable and fun, they will dive into it. And the only thing they care about is getting enough goes. If you go and work with a group of kids, you know, they'll jump in, they'll enjoy it, they will love it. And the, thing, the only thing they will complain about at the end is that person had more goes than me. Now, as adults, we tend to do, do go the opposite round. We go, I'm, gonna, I'm only going to do this if I can do it perfectly or successfully. And, uh, I want to, and I don't want to do, I'm not thinking a few weeks or months ahead. I want to do it perfectly or successfully now, straight away. Um, and the trouble is that, um, that that tends to, as we've been exploring, that tends to limit what people can do. You know, if I were to get, want to, to move to Japan and learn Japanese, uh, I don't speak any Japanese at the moment. So there is no knowledge in my mind. I don't know any Japanese words. I don't know what the structure of the language is. I don't know how to pronounce them. So if I want to go on and learn Japanese and I want to do it perfectly first time, the information isn't even there in my mind at the moment to do that. So somebody, a teacher is going to pronounce a word, I'm going to pronounce it back to them, okay? And then when they hear me pronounce it, they're going to say, no, actually, you need to change it so it sounds a bit more like this. And they will have repeated it again. So I will do it again and I'll notice, did I get closer to what they just said? I'll use them as a guide to start. And they'll say, yeah, okay, that's, that's better. Now just change it a bit more like this. Now, at every stage of that process, I'm gaining the very information I need to develop my skills uh, as, a, as a speaker of Japanese. How skilled I get on it depends on how much time I'm willing to invest mm. and, you know, and so on and so forth. But at every stage, I am getting information. Now, the problem is when people don't like making mistakes is the mistakes contain the very information about what you need to do differently. Uh, I'll give you an example of this. Um, I remember reading an interview with uh, Jessica Ennis a few years ago, and they were talking to her about how she deals with defeat. And as with the audition uh, challenge for musicians, uh, sports people uh, tend to get into problems if they think, the only way I'm going to gain from this experience, this competition I've got coming up, is if I win. If I win, I gain something. If I don't win, I gain absolutely nothing. And as you've quite rightly already said, uh, getting to the stage where people gain by being there and enjoying the performance in itself, loving to do something, getting that really kind of rush of excitement, that's a gain in and of itself before you even think about what comes out of that performance. Uh, but Jessica Grenis mentioned something else. She said, actually, you know, if I have some kind of defeat, uh, what I do from that is I get the very information about what I'm already doing successfully 
and I get the information about what I need to change or do differently. So she's saying not only do you gain by winning, you also gain by getting the information about what you were doing in that situation. Um, she then takes, okay, so I, I, I did this particularly successfully, you know, for a musician, it might be something like, well, when I started out, I was really immersed in the music and I sang that beautifully. And then the end of that song, maybe I could have just taken a bit more time because I, I, I kind of rushed it a bit. So, okay, how can I use the information from that to, to practice that differently. So next time I make some adjustments based on the information I've gained from this performance. So I think the thing with uh, when people don't value mistakes, when they only value getting exactly the result that they plan, it makes it very difficult because they're ignoring the very information they need to continue developing their skills and abilities. The other thing with that is if I'm going into a situation and I have a really clear idea in my mind of exactly the results I want to get, and nothing else other than these results are acceptable, what happens if I'm actually limiting what's possible for me? Because all I'm saying is my current concept of what I want to achieve is the only thing that will be acceptable to me. Now, very often, if you think about it, some of the experiences that are most delightful for us in life are surprising situations or when you come up with something spontaneously in a performance that you didn't even expect to do and if someone's only focusing on very narrow scope of i want to do it exactly the way i did in a practice room none of that is possible there was um there are two examples of uh famous performers within the, the classical music world that spring to mind I remember uh, reading an interview with the uh, pianist Daniel Barenboim, uh, one of the broadsheets, and someone turned to him and they said, uh, Mr. Barenboim, you started playing Mozart and Beethoven from a very early age. Uh, people would think that, that was, those were more mature composers that people would leave for later. And Barenboim looked at the interviewer and he said, well, you don't learn, about, you don't learn how to do something by not doing it. I, you start in, in the process, and as you go through the process, you, you continue to progress and develop your skills by doing the very activity itself. And the other one that sprang to mind was um, someone interviewing, again, a, a concert pianist, Martha Argerich, and they said, how do you replicate in performance exactly the way you've been practicing? And she paused and she said, well, I don't. It's continually evolving. I'm not just trying to replicate and control everything so it's the same as yesterday. I'm going with the flow and I'm just seeing what emerges. Because maybe I'll surprise myself in the way that I'm performing and the, the kinds of uh, qualities and uh, the kind of experience, the kind of emotion, the kind of expression that I'm developing as I go through different performances. So I think... Um, uh, again, I can understand, I think we can all understand why people want to get certain results. But the trouble is, it tends to uh, be the very thing that stops people from doing that. Um, and in a way, it's perfecting the process. If you see a young ch uh, child learning to speak, it's very impressive to hear. And it's not impressive because they're saying every word perfectly, but you know that they're already going through the perfect process of learning language by copying those around them and practicing it and saying things over and over again with the intention to just communicate and get whatever they want, you know, because they, uh, they want to tell their parents to do this or that. And as they do this, the, the, their language develops amazingly within a very short space of time. If they were to be results-focused, uh, incredibly results-focused, the way that someone is when they learn a language for their GCSEs, you know, where they think the teacher is going to cross and give them a kind of F, you know, if they don't get everything right, that tends to inhibit someone learning a, a foreign language. So, 
you know, again, a lot of this is kind of counterintuitive. A lot of things that people do to attempt to get results don't. And a lot of the counterintuitive processes work very successfully. That's awesome. Yeah, so here's the thing. So I'm conscious of the time here, Mike, because normally we'd like to keep these to like 30, 40 minutes and we're already way And we never, ever stick to that. We never do. But, <laughs> but and we're conscious of your time as well. So just to kind of wrap up, I'm just thinking, how? How would we... There's so, so much great stuff in here about kind of what people are doing, which would t- take them away from the, the performance of their lifetime. There are some, some things in there that... I mean, I love what you said about the... Uh, the comp- comparison between the scale, how you approach the scale. So, if somebody walked into into uh, your studio and one and was like, "Sort me out, Mike." I know it's hard and it's very individualistic, but what would are there any pointers to take up that people could take take away from this to start working on it right now? Yeah, uh, there are. And what I'm going to do, I'm going to uh, kind of talk people through it now. And uh, given that, obviously, the people who are going to listen to this podcast aren't at the moment because we're recording it, but maybe you guys can give me your kind of impressions as I talk you through this. First of all, what I'm really interested in with anyone is to look at their experiences of performing or, or of singing when everything is just flowing. And as you already said, you know, everyone's got their kind of toilet song. They probably wouldn't call it that. That's quite a unique phrase. I've never heard it before. But, um, you know, people have got those situations where they're just loving singing. And very often it will be in situations they think of as being unimportant. So I'm just doing it when I'm having a shower. I'm just, you know, there's no one else around. And I've put some music on. But, you know, what are people doing when they're really enjoying singing and everything's just flowing? What are your most memorable experiences of really enjoying singing naturally and easily? And how are you approaching your singing in these situations? What is it that you're doing? How are you focusing? What is it that you're, what's your intention what do you aim to do as you're singing that enables everything to flow naturally and easily so that you're beginning to tap into the things you're already doing that are working? Um, it's because people are so uh, concerned about results. And again, all the people I work with, I mean, as I say, when I work with Olympic athletes, they want to win medals. Um, and, and one of the, the women I was working with this, this summer um, Scottish hurdler, Ailey Child, she won the, the Commonwealth silver medal and then European gold medal. So, you know, and she, and she was obviously very, very pleased to get those results, mm. but she got those results by replicating the very way of approaching her running that she had many times before in situations where there weren't 50,000 people watching her on TV in front of millions as there were in the Commonwealth Games and the Europeans. So it was really tapping into uh, that, that way of running and just replicating it in those situations, which enabled her to win uh, medal. So, first of all, you know, what do you when you look back at your experiences of really enjoying singing and performing, when everything's just flowing and you're just totally absorbed and immersed in the music, how would you describe this? You know, what is it that you're doing in these situations? And then, because it's about results, consider for a moment when are you achieving your most effective results? When you're really enjoying singing and immersing yourself in the music, or when you're trying to do everything perfectly to impress people. Because a lot of the time, given that people want to impress people, it pays to actually do the things you, that you've done many times before that have actually achieved that. Um, the other thing is changing that perception of mistakes, and there are a number of things with this. If you think of listening to uh, a really wonderful singer who really is totally immersed in the performance, they're expressing the music, everything's just flowing. If on occasion you hear someone sing something that's not technically perfect, how do you perceive it differently when they're really enjoying singing? And typically people say that the mistakes seem to matter less. 
you know, when someone's really immersed in the, in the, in the performance and really expressing themselves, it tends to go beyond any of the notes individually. So in a way, that usually provides a useful insurance against the fact that as human beings, we can't do everything perfectly. The other thing is to see the performances that people have coming up within a longer process of developing their skills, you know, especially with the athletes I work with, and I mention them because I work with them over a long period of time, normally, uh, you know, every week whilst they're competing over a number of years. At the beginning of the year, when they have something like the World Championships coming up at the end of the year, I'll imagine them to go going into a, a year in the future after that and looking back at the World Championships so they can see how that fits in as part of the process of continuing to learn. Because if I have an audition coming up and I see this as the be-all and end-all, that tends to put too much pressure on it. So very, you know, when people think of uh, the performances they're preparing for within a longer context, you know, in five years' time, how would you look back on that performance you did in 2014 as part of the process of your continuing successful learning? And also to think about what they're going to gain from the performances they've got coming up. One gain is certainly that you get the audition. You get the part, you get the, the prize for the competition, you get the place in the band, you get the role in the opera, you get the place at the, the college, or you, you get accepted by a teacher. That's one gain. Another gain is that you're, you're going into a situation that's important for you and you come out, whatever the results from the other people, knowing that you're able to enjoy loving singing in that situation the way that you have when it you know you've been at home just totally relaxed because knowing you have the ability to do that then you can go through the process for example of auditions and over time as you said earlier you're going to get the 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 opportunities that fit for your voice, for the kind of music you like to sing, for the kind of, you're going to get the people who really genuinely love what you do and get to work with them. So it's the ability to know that you're going to go in there and really enjoy singing the way you do in less important situations is much, much more valuable to develop than focusing on any specific audition because it's a more mm. uh, more generic skill, if you like. Um, the other thing that I think is important for people to consider is um, how are they going to use the information they gain from this experience? When you finish that next performance, how are you going to use the information you've gained from this experience to continue developing your increasing skills and abilities during the days, weeks, and months ahead? You can look back over that performance and notice the things you've already been doing particularly successfully, maybe even more successfully than you had anticipated beforehand. You can look back and notice anything you'd want to do differently or change in any way so you know the very things you're going to be working on in your practice and you're using all of the results you get as a useful source of information with which to continue developing and evolving your skills so that every part of the process is useful. Mm. And I think... Uh, very often I'll ask people to imagine that they've already done the performance. So I'll say something like, you know, when you finish that next performance, what would it mean to you knowing you are singing successfully because you were enjoying, loving, expressing the music and totally immersing yourself in the performance as you look back and see and hear what you were doing to make this happen? Mm -hmm. Then returning to the present now, what does it mean to you already looking forward to continuing to enjoy singing with even greater expression during the days, weeks and months ahead? in an even wider variety of situations so that people are beginning to look forward to doing it. Because when people think of something in the future, say a performance as a singer, and they begin to really look forward to singing with even greater excitement and 
noticing even more creative ways of expressing the music naturally and easily, they start to condition themselves. The more that you think about it, already looking forward to enjoying singing, the more you look forward to it. The more you look forward to it, the more you condition yourself to go in there and enjoy it when it actually arrives. And then you've had another experience of enjoying singing and performing in an important situation, which demonstrates that you are actually able to do this now. And not only now, but during the days, weeks and months ahead. So I'm kind of talking you through the process that I normally take people with, through when I work with them. And I think it's important for me to, con to demonstrate to people that they already have the skills and abilities they need. And it's only a small shift in mindset. They need to be uh, looking at how they can gain from every experience and they need to enjoy immersing themselves in the music because that's the approach that's going to enable them to impress more people and to demonstrate their skills and abilities most effectively, especially in important situations. So I don't know if that's given you a, a kind of indication of the process that people go through. And also, it'd be interesting to know from your experience listening to that, you know, what are you aware of as I, as I talk you through that? Because I know you guys have experiences of, of singing, and as you mentioned very early on, uh, that experience of being a, really loving what you're doing. And that is really the key to it. You think of any great singer you see, they are totally immersed in it, and that's what's engaging and compelling to watch from the audience's perspective. Mm. Yeah. I mean, I mean one, one thing that, I, I, that rings with me is the feedback mechanism that you talk about. And that mechanism can be actually real-time, which is probably the worst way to do it. Um, you know, where somebody reviews their mistakes on the spot, which actually in, in experience with students makes them want to stop and not carry on from mm. that very moment, um, which yeah. for, for a performance is actually a catastrophic outcome, obviously, um, and it's not going to make anyone very confident once that happens. Um, then there's the uh, the dwell on the mistakes afterwards and seeing the negative in it and probably not seeing the actual information or the value in that. Um, but yeah, to, to embellish that process, it's that that's why people have coaches and that's why mm. people have have trustworthy feedback mechanisms in place, like singing teachers, like tennis coaches, where actually two weeks after they can mm. go through the information and. Uh, f almost every mistake might be down to one technical adjustment that can be practiced over and over again for the next three weeks and then yeah. bosh it's sorted but that that isn't subjective at all it's objective and that is the benefit of coaching so for singers who are trying to do this process on their own I guess they can get quite far with it but really to get that extra objective view they're going to need someone who's not going to criticize them like they criticize themselves yeah I, I, and that's what I, strikes I, me about how you say about the feedback thing about the review of mistakes yeah that's i think that's absolutely right and i mean i know that you know even the world's greatest opera singers tend to continue having teachers whereas a lot of uh other musicians uh sometimes stop at a certain point in their development. And I think it's really valuable, as you quite rightly say, the top tennis players in the world have coaches, the top athletes, the top uh, football teams. And that's because that feedback from someone else who's an expert in the field who can add details and show someone how to change and develop and evolve it is so important. And as you say, it's not about... Uh, ignoring mistakes at all or lowering one's standards it's about when you review them reviewing them after a performance is really useful reviewing them during the performance is pretty disastrous and 
actually the real mistake is reviewing them during the performance rather <laughs> yeah. than the mistake mm-hmm. itself. So <laughs> I think that's the, the kind of the, the strange uh, thing about it. I mean, the word itself, apparently, part of the origin is it comes from archery, uh, the word mistake. And, and, and in that, someone draws back their bow and arrow and they, they let the arrow go and they aim to hit the middle of the target. And if they hit slightly to the side of the target they were intending to hit, that's called a mistake. And then they do a retake. And the nature of that is that the difference between where I wanted to hit and where I actually hit gives me exactly the information about how much I need to adjust so I'm getting closer to achieving my target. Now, again, this ties in. The whole point is there is information in mistakes, certainly in the context that we're talking about here of performance, that has to be reviewed afterwards. Um, One of the things that I think is is really important to musicians that they don't often realize is their whole purpose for doing it early on is when you are immersed in the the present moment, doing something you love doing. That's incredibly freeing for human beings because although children are pretty much in the present moment all of the time, as adults, we dip back and, uh, and forth between what might happen in the future, what happened in the past, you know, and being in the present moment doing something you love is incredibly freeing. And that is hugely valuable and that tends to get sacrificed if someone is being overly critical about details in the performance itself. And that's a shame because those are, you know, people's, most people's memories of the really important performances are ones where they were just, they came off afterwards and go, wow, wasn't that amazing? That was just wonderful. And so, you know, that's hugely important for everyone to experience. Otherwise, for what purpose sing? For what purpose, you know, develop your skills as a musician if, if people are not giving themselves that opportunity? And it's also the thing that, that is most compelling for an audience to watch. Uh, that's the thing that people just love to watch. And especially for auditions where most people do go in and try and deliver technical perfection, that for the people on the panel, normally it means that they end up in quite an anxious state because they're watching people who are very nervous. And the first person who comes in there and transcends what this event is because they go in there and they just sing a beautiful piece of music the, audience, uh, the audition panel then have a chance to relax and go, oh, thank goodness for that. Absolutely. And that's the person who doesn't, who goes beyond, this isn't an audition anymore, this is about this piece of music, the character I'm singing, the song I'm singing, and that is what is going to really impress an audition panel. That's what's going to you know, make that difference. I'm just interested there, Mike, about the being in the present. Just very quickly, off topic, do you guide any of your clients towards meditation or is that something that you usually do? Every singer every performer has experiences of being in the present moment and is finding a way of replicating that uh, naturally and easily because as we've been saying, you know, if people overthink things, mm. it tends to interrupt the flow. So there's a, a, there's a challenge there of how you replicate a flow state, a state of being in the present moment and, um, you know, how you actually recreate that. And normally what I do with people is I ask them to describe what they're doing when everything's flowing naturally and easily. Okay, so very often people will say something like, well, I'm just singing freely, or I'm just uh, enjoying expressing the song, or whatever it is. They'll come up with their words for that, to describe what it's like when they're just experiencing that sense of flow. And what I tend to do is then, as I'm working with them, I will tend to repeat those uh, phrases back to them and use the very words that they've used to describe that flow state so that I can enable them to kind of recreate it. So, for example, if someone tells me that, 
you know, when they're when it's flowing, they're just focusing and enjoying singing the music, uh, and they have an audition coming up. I'll ask some questions such as, you know, so when you imagine the audition you've got coming up now, what happens when you sing through this in your mind, already enjoying expressing the music even more naturally and easily now? And so what they'll do then is they'll start to go through the audition they've got coming up in their mind, approaching it in the very same way that they do when everything's flowing naturally and easily. And as they go through that, they're actively preparing themselves to uh, sing and perform in that way and it's something that's actually within their control to do getting back to what we started with mm. at the beginning if I tr try and focus on convincing Chris and Steve that I'm a great singer that's never within my control I can't control your your opinion um, but what a, a singer can control is their performance and creating that sense of flow so very much I base everything I do on the performer in front of me and what they have done in the past that has enabled them to achieve their best results. Brilliant. Not what they think they do, uh, think they need to do now to convince everyone that they're really good, but what they actually are doing when they're producing the results they want. And of course, people continue to evolve that over time. Of course they do. So it's not just about replicating what you've already done, but it's building from a basis of the skills and experience and the state of mind that actually enables people to sing the way they want to. Mm. So I don't know if that's kind of answered your question. It's but a, you're basically, yeah, just using methods that will evolve over time dependent on the individual to guide people towards uh, or, or help them um, get into that present state. Yeah. Is, is awesome. The other thing with it is that I, I ask people a lot of questions and I do that for different re for reasons other than most people's reasons for asking questions. For example, if I leave my home and someone comes up to me and asks me the way to the supermarket, what they want is the answer. Uh, now, that's, it's a bit different for me. You know, I will say some, something to someone like, you know, what are some of the ways in which you can continue enjoying singing and performing even more naturally and easily in a wider variety of situations during the days, weeks and months ahead? And in order to know what the ways are, they have to imagine doing that. They have mm. to start to plan uh, how they're going to do it because I've asked them that question. If you think about it, when you sit around with a group of friends and you're talking about a film and someone goes, what's the name of that actor that, that played that part? Oh, what was it? Um, ah, something took on my tongue. And you rack your brain, but you can't come up with the name of the actor. And you forget about it, and two hours later, the name of the actor pops into your mind because your brain continues processing questions for a lot longer than you're aware of consciously. So... Uh, I ask people a lot of questions because I know that's going to mean that even if the, after they've left the session, they're continuing to go through the process of preparing themselves for their performances they've got coming up based on what we've been doing. So, you know, something like how can you continue developing even more creative ways of enjoying expressing yourself even more naturally and easily as you're practicing singing and performing during the days, weeks and months ahead. But I'm going to continue thinking about that even after we finish talking and they're going to be doing it unconsciously as well, which is the way that we do anything with any level of skill. Mm. Love it. Absolutely love it. Mike, that is an incredibly giving interview with so much in there. Mm. And, and again, like I said earlier um, to you before the call started, that the confidence is a hot topic. And mm. uh, I think in any kind of... Uh, even empathy uh, goes a long way with people who have confidence issues and then going on to, you know, understanding why it happens, followed by how to offset it, change it, you know, direct it in a different way to benefit yourself. Again, they're all the topics that you've covered today. So um, I just can't wait for people to feed back on this and, and tell us what they think and... Ooh, yeah. and, and maybe, you know, if they want to reach out to you with any, any, any information... Mm 
or you know um, guidance on this or even just find out a bit more about who you are and what you've done can you tell us where they can find you yeah if you go to my uh, website which is uh, mikecunningham.co.uk and uh, you know anyone listening feel free to email me if there are any questions you have following on from this um, I know that uh, obviously as we're going through this uh, this interview uh, you know I, I'm wanting to uh, talk people through the way that they perform so that they're actually starting to think about it as they're listening to it. But of course, it's not going to answer everybody's questions about every aspect of performance uh, kind of mindset. So yeah, people mm. are f- uh, feel free to get in touch if they have uh, questions or, you know, kind of things that they'd want to ask after having listened to this interview. Thank you, Mike. So, and do you have, do you have uh, social media uh, mm. links that they can probably yeah, keep up with you on? Yes, I'm. I'm even on Twitter now. What is? I think wow. my Twitter name is Mike Cunningham, and then it's underscore. It's something that's relatively new for me. So yeah, people can follow me on Twitter as well. Mike fact, Cunningham well, underscore. Yeah. So uh, and in fact, it'll be really clear when you, you get there that it's, it's my site because it's got something to do with the mind at the top. But uh, yeah. So um, yeah. In fact, I tell you what. I'll probably even if I send you guys the link as well. Maybe you can add it to the uh, show notes. Um, yeah. the, interview and then people can see yeah we'll put all your details in the show notes along with um a transcription of the uh podcast as i know people probably want to take a lot of this stuff in uh, several times Mm. i would have thought and i'd say i encourage anybody to just get in touch with you direct mike honestly it's been enlightening for me it's it's, it's been a real pleasure thank you so much for your time a pleasure it's been really nice talking to you guys today and uh, um you know i hope it's been useful for the people who are listening he's very helpful man I like him. Do you? Yeah, I think I might. I think I might ask him out for a drink. So strange. <laughs> so strange. <laughs> <laughs> no, not sexual. No. Just, no. Just oh, you know, dear. friends and that. Are we all right? Yeah, it's getting. I'm jet lagged. Are you jet lagged? I'm okay. I've been here for five days, mate. So. Oh, yeah, I just got here yesterday, so I'm kind of screwed, mate. To be honest with you. Should we? We... Now we got to wrap it up. Yeah, we still recorded. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, icing, icing magazine. Uh, we said we would give away five copies. <laughs> Same <but> words. <laughs> icing, icing magazine. <laughs> um, yes, yeah, so we, we were going to give away five copies in December, um, but I think we forgot about that. But yeah, we remembered. Still got them to Still give got them to give away, yeah. They're in a box somewhere. So um, basically, if you're on the mailing list and you entered that, then we'll be in touch this week uh, for the winners. Look out. So let us know what you think of the episode. Send us any questions. Also let us know what you think of the microphones. Yeah. Don't tell us it was too long, because we'll probably ignore it. Yeah, because that's just what it is. You know. However, this year, we recorded this one, this one last year, so that's why it's a little bit long. The next ones from 2015 are going to be as long, so all you... And this ramble here is making it longer anyway, isn't it? So I think we better get better at that. Are you okay, mate? We should get better at that. You are right? I'm tired. I can hear. Grump, yeah. Grumpy pants. Anyway, nakedvocalist.com for more stuff. We'll be getting a new website soon, but join us there. But, but social media is always there, all right? Hit us with some questions. All right? All right? See ya. Yep. Cool. Yeah. The Naked Vocalist is proud to be sponsored by Vocalize You. 
Truly the best home study program for singers. Available for desktop computers, iPad and iPhone. Download your copy from VocalizeU.com now.